At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Confession is a necessary habit to have in our walk with Christ. It's something that can be uncomfortable or bring up feelings of guilt and shame. Even though we may be hesitant to confess our sins, He reminds us in His Word how vital confession is to our relationship with Him. In Psalm 51, David comes in full surrender, bringing his sin, shame, and guilt to God, asking for a renewed spirit and a cleansed heart. Join us in a new series titled, Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, where we'll learn why practicing confession is so important. Good morning, Woodside Church family. It's good to be with you. Uh, last service, I mentioned the size and realized how distinctly different this is from our Troy campus. And I didn't give the caveat that before we moved to join Woodside, I was a part of a 47-member church plant. So the, the closeness and the smaller numbers can be more familial, and it's near and dear to my heart. And so I love what you guys have here. It seems very sweet in the fellowship. It seems rich. And so I don't take that lightly or take that for granted. It's a joy. Uh, so uh, it's glad to be with you here this morning. Grateful for the opportunity to share from God's word. Uh, we're going to look at Second Samuel 12 together. And I just wanted to uh, take some time to break bread with you over God's word. So have you ever thought about um, a time in your life where you were confronted by someone else? Uh, maybe you had done something wrong. Maybe they just thought you had done something wrong. And they came to you and they confronted you and they approached you and uh, came, at, came at you and said, you sinned against me or there's something gravely wrong here. This is not right. And you think in terms of how you felt. Like, what did it feel like? If you reflect back, to, obviously that's going to unsettle us. It's not going to feel as initially as something we would welcome. Uh, maybe it stirs within us a little bit of angst and we're a little angry maybe. We could get upset. Maybe we try to think, well, how do I hide that? No, that's not true. We deny it. We can maybe want to cover it up. Uh, there are a lot of natural instinctive reactions that are within us when we're confronted over sin. Um, even as we might try to be elusive or escape or get away, these moments can bring about substantial change in our life. And the reality is that we often face moments where the Lord confronts us in our sin. He uses others to do that or a variety of means from his word. And so as we're getting into this series of confessions, erasing shame and experiencing renewal, um, we're going to take this dive into Psalm 51, but the context we find in 2 Samuel chapter 12 uh, 11 and 12, but we're going to focus in on 12 today. And so uh, this gives us a glimpse as to why David was confessing his sin in Psalm 51. It tells us a tragic story of his downfall uh, and the gross sin and the amount of uh, effort that he put in to try to hide and conceal that uh, as he uh, stood before the Lord. So the scripture shows us that David in chapter 11 should have been at war. Uh, it says in the spring as the kings would go out to war, but David, for some reason, in this time, didn't go out to war. He was known for that. Uh, there were songs of 10,000s slain. Saul had slain his thousands. David is 10,000s. He was known as a warrior, and he was able to gather and rally up other warriors. They followed him, and that's one of the chief things about David that we know. But at the time when he was supposed to be out of war, he wasn't there. And so he's strolling about his palace. He's moving around, and he takes a walk up onto the roof of the palace. And what does he find? He finds a beautiful woman on her rooftop, right? The palace probably elevated, able to look down around those, around, uh, to see down around those uh, uh, houses around him. And so he sees this beautiful woman who's bathing. 
Uh, it's at the end of a time of cleansing for her. So she's, uh, and then his heart is filled with lust in that moment. Uh, and that lust gives birth to uh, covetousness, and he sins for her. Uh, he sends for her. She's brought into him by some of his attendants, I'm sure, and he lays with them. And the next thing you know, he's sending her on her way, and he finds word, he receives word from her that she has become pregnant, and she's with child. And so David has, he has uh, used his authority to send for this woman, and he's now committed adultery with her. The fruit of that is this new life that's being born. His sin that he's, he's trying to cover up or to do secretly is now going to be exposed because of this child. So what does David do? Uh, he concocts in his mind this other plan. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get Uriah from the field. I'm going to call her husband back from war, even though I should be there. He's there. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but I'm maybe not. He's going to call her husband back from war and try to get him to uh, have a child with his wife so that he isn't found out. He's trying to conceal and to hide his sin. And so Uriah, being the noble warrior that he is, the man of integrity, he doesn't fall into David's sort of scheme. And he says, no, why, when my brothers are off at war, should I have the comforts of this life? And he denies that. He doesn't go home. He doesn't do what David wants him to do. And so the next day, similar thing happens. And he, he says, Uriah, why didn't you go home? David calls him out and says, why didn't you do that? He's like, well, I can't. Tells him why. David comes up with another plan in his mind. He, I'm going to get him drunk. And I'm going to get his judgment skewed a little bit. That might actually lead him to do what I want him to do. And so, again, David's got effort after effort to conceal his sin. And he goes through this process. And then he sends Uriah on his way back to the battlefield after he doesn't do what David wants. He sends him back to the battlefield with his death letter in his hand. And Uriah delivers it to Joab. And as as he delivers it to him, he now is going to be sent to the front lines of the battle. And as he's sent to the front lines of the battle, they're going to retreat and leave him there. It's at the worst place of battle, and they're going to leave him there for dead. So this happens. Uriah dies. Word gets back to David. And all the while, Bathsheba has now lost a husband. She begins to mourn, and David feels like, I'm free. I have gotten away with it. It seems as though I could. So in, in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, it says, When the morning was over, David sent and brought Bathsheba to his house, she became his wife and bore a son. Yet this verse concludes, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David knew uh, his sin. He thought he had gotten away with it. But the reality is that our omniscient and sovereign God knew David's sin. And he was displeased with it. He approached David with divine confrontation about his sin. And he does this for David's good. And the same is true for us. The Lord confronts us in our sin So we can experience renewal. So why was confrontation for renewal needed? Wouldn't it be easier if if David just uh, figured it out on his own? Why did he need someone to to really point this out to him? Because what David had done is he had built up this lie so much uh, that he had justified his sin or covered his sin so much that he actually believed his own lie. He had deceived himself. James tells us to be hearers of the word And to be doers. Because the result of separating those two things, but hearing and not living, is that we deceive ourselves. David had deceived himself. And so he had therefore become blind in sin. So as we talk through this, there are three reasons why the Lord confronts us in our sin so we can experience renewal. The first of those is because we are blind to our sin. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 6 reads as following. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, and the one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, and he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat the morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to a rich man who was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare it for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb, he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So it's not as though David didn't know uh, what he had done. David was not unaware of his sin. It was ever before him, as we'll see later in Psalm 51. David was consciously aware. He did not uh, not know what he did. It was not something he committed in ignorance. It was an intentional and a move to make uh, to cover his sin. And his goal was to conceal it and certainly hopefully to remove shame in that process. And so he dug himself deeper into sin and deeper into sin. He started with lust. It ended. It began. Moved to covet. Uh, uh, sorry. Well, coveting. And uh, then it went into adultery. Then it became murder. He built accomplices. He did this entire scheme in order to cover up his sin. He labored deeply to conceal his sin. And as he does this, the entire time, the reality is God still knows. He knows all of David's sin. He knows what, the, what is concealed by man is revealed by God. And chapter 12 is where this story hits its moral collapse. We find that David's sins... Um, are exposed, and this question comes up after this. Will God do something about it? Thankfully, he sends his man, Nathan. Nathan confronts David. He comes directly to him, and he calls him out. And in this process, this confrontation, it's sort of an indirect way. Uh, he presents this case. So Nathan, uh, Nathan comes to David and is essentially saying to David, would you rule on this case? What's your judgment as king? It's, it's like he's giving him the opportunity to pronounce judgment. What he doesn't realize is he's going to pronounce judgment upon himself in a way. And so he, he presents this legal case. And he gives David the opportunity to then rule in this case. And David's response is full of emotion. He has great anger, and then he invokes the Lord. As the Lord lives, this rich man deserves to die. He's expressing his conviction. He's laying things out, and he did not have any pity. And the irony here is that what David's doing is he's pronouncing judgment on himself with no pity in his heart for what he himself had done. He's blind to it all. He is confronted, yet he still doesn't even know it. There's a, um, our first house we lived in, I have three kids. My 14-year-old my son, when he was five years old in our first home, he, I heard this noise in the kitchen one morning. So I walked out to see what was going on. And the way the kitchen was laid out, there's a kitchen and a dining room. And there's sort of a dividing wall between. You could walk around. And I walk into the dining room and I see my little five-year-old son sitting there and his face is sort of white and he just sees his constitution. Like he's sick. Something's going on. Like I don't know what he's, what he's been into. Uh, and so I'm just, hey, buddy, what's going on? I check on him um, and, I, and I talk with him and he's like, I'm not feeling well. What happened? He doesn't really tell me. Just that I don't know. I'm not feeling well. 
So I have him sit down in the dining room, and I think, let me just walk around to the kitchen uh, to, to see what's going on. And so when I go into the kitchen, I see the fridge door is just slightly cracked open. Uh, okay, well, he didn't clean up his evidence as well as he thought he did. And so I go crack open the fridge, and what do I find in there? A, a jar of Welch's grape jelly with the lid cracked open just a little bit. My son had been in the kitchen with the full Winnie the Pooh motion, just digging in with that grape jelly, going at it. And so all the stuff that I saw on his face around his mouth, it was actually grape jelly. So the, the evidence was everywhere. Even though he tried to put the lid back on, as a five-year-old can, if you've used those jars, you know they don't go on great. Uh, he didn't fully close the fridge. He didn't clean his mouth. He didn't tell me what was going on. But the evidence was abundantly clear to me from the outside. I saw everything. I knew exactly what was going on. He could not conceal his sin as well as he thought he did. And I think that's the same with David. David was trying to conceal his sin, but his efforts were in vain because God is omniscient and sees and knows all things. He's all-knowing. We also do that, don't we? We have our blind spots where we try to conceal our sin. We try to hide things from the Lord as though we have the ability to, to cover up our own sin. Maybe we keep them from our spouses. Maybe we keep them from our friends. Uh, but the, ultimately, the Lord is the one who knows all things. And we cannot hide our sin from him. He sees it clearly. And that's, that's the thing. Is that sometimes we can conceal it so well that we deceive ourselves like David did. My son... He thought he had it all figured out. There was no way I was going to know that that mark around his face was jelly. He thought he had concealed everything effectively. David the same way. It sounds very similar to, it reminds me of Adam in the garden, right? So Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, they're in the garden with God walking and, and they sin, take the fruit, disobey God. We know the story, right? What do they do in response to that? They hide. They try to hide themselves and they sew together fig leaves to conceal their shame, their nakedness. And the Lord still, as he is, a kind and gracious God, is walking in the cool of the day, calling out to them, yet they're hiding and they're concealing their stuff. It's, it's something that's plagued humanity from the beginning until now. It's never ceasing that we try to conceal and hide our sin from, from ourselves, from others, from the Lord. That's why we need the church. That's why we need one another. That's why we need life groups. Go join Kyle's life group. That's why we need to have community with others who can walk alongside us in this life to say, brother, you have sinned. You need to see this and call that out. We can, we can encourage one another more and more, even as we see the day drawing near. And so do you have a Nathan in your life? Is there someone in your life that has the freedom to say, this is wrong? And then for you to actually listen to that, for you to hear that. And if you don't have that, find it here Find it here most. This is the place to find it. Ask someone. Invite people in. Say, would you be the kind of person that can come alongside of me and encourage me uh, in this? Proverbs 27.6 encourages us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need these types of friends from God because uh, and oftentimes we blind ourselves to our sin. So the Lord confronts our sin so that we can experience renewal because we're blind to it. But he also confronts our sin because we have despised the word of God. Look with me at 7 through 12 real quick. Nathan said, you, uh, said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave your master, you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel of Judah. So he's given him a bunch, a lot of things of an abundance. And if this were too little, I would, have, I would add to you as much more. 
So why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do the same before all Israel and before the sun. So here's the moment of truth. Nathan's response to David is here, his anger and his pursuit of justice. And David says very cl- clearly in response to what Nathan's calling out, that the Lord, he calls down the Lord's judgment. But Nathan says, you, you are the man. And he brings this case against him. David's sin was now undeniable. He had tried to conceal it. He had tried to hide it. Uh, He was blinded to this. But the reality is that when he was confronted, it was no longer deniable. David could no longer hide the sin. So he has to respond. He has to have some sort of answer. And through Nathan, God delivers this judgment in verses 7 through 12. And really, the essence of what David's uh, sin was, it was unbelief in the character of God. David didn't believe that the provision of the Lord was sufficient. He didn't believe that God himself was sufficient. He had given him uh, Israel. He would given him Judah. He would given him all these wives. He would given him this kingdom. Yet David was not content with that, which is a reflection that David was not content in the Lord at this moment. So God had given David everything, and he would have given him so much more. But instead, David tried to create his own world and tried to take things into his own hands. So this judgment comes before him and open shame is there. And the reality is, as David's sin is undeniable, um, he's confronted deeply. This makes me think of an illustration that that, uh, took place in 1986. You're probably familiar with Chernobyl, a nuclear power plant in Ukraine where a catastrophic accident occurred. This disaster caused a combination of flaws in a reactor, caused by a combination of flaws in a reactor. It was a dis- and a disregard for safety protocols. It routed through safety tests. These operators that worked at the factory ignored all the warning signs. They ignored all the safety regulations. And despite all that was there, the reactor's computer system and the, the supervisor, all the problems that existed, they continued testing at this facility. And so the power at the reactor surged uncontrollably, leading to a disastrous explosion. And what happened is, as this explosion happened, lives were lost immediately as radioactive waste continued to to expand the atmosphere, right? So long-term health issues continued. There was environmental contamination, and the warnings were there, yet they were completely disregarded and even despised. I had a conversation after the last service about how this analogy continues to play out. Is the reality is when they were confronted in Ukraine about the, the reactor and what happened in Chernobyl, they just denied it. They continued to try to conceal it, even when they were confronted. Uh, thankfully, God confronts us in our sin so that we can experience renewal. He's working to make sure that we do not disregard or despise his word or who he is. Yet we do this. We continue to do so. We continue to ignore the word of God and continue to pursue sin. Think in Romans 7 where Paul said, O wretched man that I am, the thing that I want to do, I find myself not doing. The thing that I should do, 
I don't do. Paul was torn within himself because he knew what sin was, but yet he didn't always walk in the right ways. The same way as David. The same way with you and I. Our disregard for God creates catastrophe in our own lives. When we ignore his word, we reject his truth and his ways, we tell God he's not worth it, ultimately those things impact our lives and those around us in a negative way. And so how are you despising God right now? Are there ways in your life where maybe not as intentional as it would seem that you're despising God by despising his word? Search your heart, see that you are cherishing God and his word. It's important to note that God told David the sin that was done in secret would be exposed in the light, and that reality happened. Several chapters later, David's son, Absalom, actually usurps his kingdom, takes ten of his wives to the roof, puts a tent on the roof of the palace, and all of this is on full display for the entire, the entire place to see. So the reality is that God's judgment uh, upon David is harsh and direct, but David's response is really what matters. David turns to the Lord. He confesses his sin, he repents, and he believes in God. So God confronts us in our sin because we're blind, and he does, uh, and, he ha- and because we have despised his word and him. But he also confronts us in our sin because he is willing to forgive Thanks be to God that when David heard the word of the Lord, he repented. Look in 2 Samuel verse 12, or sorry, verse 13 in chapter 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. David's response is simple, it's clear. He has repented. He's confessing his sin, agreeing with the the direct word from the Lord, and he's repenting from that sin. And he's correcting his belief. His confession is, I have sinned against the Lord. Not that he has sinned against Bathsheba, though he had. Not that he had sinned against against those servants who he sent to go get Bathsheba, though he had. Not that he had sinned against Uriah, though he had. Or even Joab, who he sent had sinned right to the front lines, though he had. There are many people in this story whom David sinned against, but the very core of what's going on is that David sinned against the Lord. And it's such a beautiful response. That's where we are. We sin against a just and holy God. Yet the Lord says to David through Nathan that your sin will be put away. The Lord meets David with refreshing words of renewal and hope, even in the light of the consequences and the fallout of his sin. It's amazing how this turns out. The word translated put away is actually to pass over. And it, may, it will make David think of the Passover in the Old Testament when, when the homes of the Israelites were passed over because the blood was on the doorpost. So God in his divine forbearance passed over the sin of David, ultimately looking to the Lamb of God who would be slain for the foundations of the world. The same is for us today. We find our grace, we find our forgiveness in the Lamb who was slain for us. Our sins are forgiven when we confess and we repent and we believe in the Lord. Maybe you've not experienced God's forgiveness. Maybe you've not experienced his kindness and his love. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to search your heart, search your life, to see your sin and confess that with the Lord. Repent and believe that he is a gracious and merciful God who will forgive. And maybe you have trusted in the Lord and you're continuing to walk Uh, now with him 
Perhaps there's sin in your life that you're not acknowledging. And maybe you need to take this as a reminder from the Lord to repent from your sin, to turn from your sin. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Our God is merciful. Our God is grateful. His fundamental nature is to forgive sin. And this is how renewal can happen. This is how it can happen in your life. This is how it happens in my life. This is the only way is that we would turn to the Lord, confess and repent and believe. So if you've heard these words of pardon in your life, that you've trusted in Christ and you have forgiveness, seek out the sin that's in your life and confess it before the Lord. Repent, believe. And if you haven't, today is the day for salvation. Don't wait, but now in your heart, Repent of your sin. Confess before the Lord and believe that he is a God who forgives and he will do just that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are slow to anger, and then you are abounding in steadfast love. Lord, that your love will continue through generations, that your forgiveness and your grace continue. Father, open our eyes that we might see our sin, but open them that we might see your beauty and see you for who you are, and confess, and repent from our sin, turning away from the wicked ways, to turn to you, and to believe in Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful in our walk this day. Give us eyes to see you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.